0: Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined, as always, by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy?
1: Coomer, it's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat Basketball fan.
0: Shout out to all the Frosted Flakes fans out there it is a great day to be a Bearcat basketball fan. And we just dropped late last week a reaction podcast to the Temple game. So in terms of Bearcat basketball, there's not a lot of new content out there to talk about. There's no games to react to. But we did have a special guest. Before we get to this guest, the American Athletic Conference is wild. The results are completely unpredictable. You never know who's going to win what game. What, what is happening in this conference?
1: We talked about one already, Tulsa, just absolutely dismantling
0: Memphis at home. The first place team in the American Athletic Conference, by the way, Tulsa. Not, well, not anymore. No, <laughs> no they, are, they are first place. They are 5-1 in the conference. Oh, and, wow. Uh, leading the conference. Their only loss is by more than 30 to the Bearcats at our, on our court.
1: This league is more of a roller coaster than our season personally. Because we had Memphis dropping a second consecutive league game to SMU who comes to Cincinnati's court on Tuesday uh, for for a showdown. and Cooper what was the what was the last one?
0: The Battle of Philadelphia. Temple dropped a non-conference game, granted, but they lost a game to Penn. Temple's off the rails, mm-hmm. my friend. Temple is off the rails.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I'm looking at where the conference stands right now, you know, we're we're technically tied for second. Um, but what what I'm really one Tulsa is actually a huge surprise, being being up there at first place. It's also amusing to see SMU still hanging around. Um, we're gonna have to put them in their place on Tuesday. Uh, by that I mean just you know one spot below us on the uh, on that rankings list. Tie them up with Memphis. Um, yeah. But Houston, Wichita State, they're probably right, right where we thought they would be, um, and you know we're not far off the trail. So if this conference is wide open at this point. I, there, there is no reason why we actually cannot have expectations of winning this thing.
0: It's early and things can change, but what I'm seeing is in the standings. You've got Tulsa at five and one, Houston at five and one, Wichita State five and two, SMU five and two, Cincinnati five and two, Memphis at three and three, and then after that everybody else is under 500 in the conference. And there's nobody in that group of teams that's under 500, ECU, UCF, Tulane, Temple, Connecticut, and USF. You don't see any of those teams making a real run in the conference. But they all are pretty much good enough to maybe upset one of the top teams in the conference. Is Tulsa going to be you know, the team that wins this conference? It's very unlikely. So at this point, we're looking at a race between Houston, Wichita, SMU, Cincinnati, and Memphis for that conference championship. And, and the Bearcats are well-positioned. In my opinion, to go on a huge run, you know, we know we have lots of games. Every single game in this conference is winnable. There's no dominant team in the conference, which is good for a team like us who needs to rip off a long winning streak and a lot of wins to get back into that at-large conversation for the tournament. Other than that, like you like just mentioned, this is
1: a roller coaster of a season for the uh, American. It's almost upsetting in a bit a sense because you do want to see. Some some of these teams that we, you know, we're, we're calling them elite in terms of the conference, but they're dropping these games. That's just, you know, Memphis. I, I, I don't know what's happening there. It's, there's, there's obviously trending in some trends in the wrong direction there. But, you know, you want to see teams do well. You don't want to see Houston get upset. You don't really want to see Wichita get upset unless it's us doing the upsetting in that case. But but yeah, you know what? That's the conference and it's time to move on and introduce
0: our guest to you. Yep, this week we are joined by Justin Williams of The Athletic. He covers the Bearcats basketball team, football team. He does great work at The Athletic. 100% recommend subscribing to that platform and get his coverage. Hummer, let's not waste any time. We're joined by Justin now. We are now joined by Justin Williams of uh, The Athletic, formerly of the Cleveland Magazine and the Cincinnati Magazine. Justin, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast today. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: What Coomer, I think, also left out is that you're currently the imagination of Bearcat fans
0: everywhere for The
1: Athletic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry about that. Bigger, big, big oversight on my part. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs>
1: um, well, one of the things that we we've I think we've discovered through this season with the Bearcats, it's been nothing short of a roller coaster ride. I also read a couple weeks ago that Kings Island is is tearing down the Vortex, which was my personally personally my favorite roller coaster. Justin, what's your favorite roller coaster?
2: This is an interesting question because I am not a big amusement park fan. Um, I hate the like waiting in line thing, and uh, it has that kind of personal preference of mine has drifted into my wife claiming that I'm afraid of roller coasters. Um, I personally. I do not feel that I'm afraid of roller coasters but it's uh that's you wouldn't know based on how many people she tells so i did i was always a big vortex man growing up though or what was the one where you like you stood up oh the king cobra king cobra that one was great i think that one was probably disbanded for terrible dangerous reasons many years ago but that one was great as a kid so the rep- oh
1: the king cobra was terrifying that thing would get st- i remember we got stuck in the loop one time God. like it was just always breaking down. Like you wrote it with like, basically you put a you signed your your life on a your name on a life contract saying I know I may die, at at some point here.
0: Yeah, I mean I get, I'm not afraid of roller coasters, but I probably should be now that I think about it. Well, so we're gonna let the record show then that you are apparently not afraid of roller coasters. But it does sound <laughs> like if your wife is telling people that you're afraid of roller coasters, uh, you might be afraid of roller coasters. I, I guess so. So, Justin, you now write for The Athletic, and I think you've been doing that for a couple of years at this point. Uh, what what might distinguish the coverage you're able to do at The Athletic versus some of these bigger media conglomerates or local magazines, local papers? Um, how does it kind of differentiate itself?
2: Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny. Obviously, uh, The Athletic has kind of grown in, in profile. And, and what it I think it has wanted to be or, or um, intended to be from the start is to to differentiate itself through not kind of forcing people into boxes and and how they cover things. And and that means, you know, I'm I'm a little bit unique, but most of the people that work on the beats there come from a a newspaper background. And I think they, they feel the need to, had to do that preview, you know, recap and kind of, you know, just work within the confines of of what it had always been normally. Um, And for a lot of reasons, a lot of newspapers still do that. And it's, you know, not necessarily good or bad but i think for that specific audience sometimes they feel like that's their responsibility and so not to do it because newspapers can't do this but the athletic was like since there are other places that are writing you know recaps and 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 previews and kind of the normal stuff let's try and do something a little bit different uh i think over the the evolution of the site that it we have found that people do kind of still come to the athletic as their like go-to beat and so we we do have to do some amount of like the day-to-day stuff and um you know maybe it's not a, a traditional gamer but you know if, if you're at a game you got to kind of find something to, to write about off of it or even if you're just like kind of tweeting out a, a normal day-to-day update type thing you, people still have a, a need and want for that information but they're always encouraging us to look for a little bit of a different angle on a story or if you need a little bit of an extra, extra time to work on a bigger story you know don't be afraid that you don't have something for a couple of days where maybe everyone else is kind of chasing uh, a, a normal smaller, day-to-day story or something like that. So their thing is always just trying to be authentic and and differentiate yourself in some way on the beat. Um, I feel kind of fortunate coming from like a magazine background is I guess I was always kind of thinking about stories that way anyway. I actually had to kind of tell myself to – trim down and pull back on some stories that not every story had to be a a 3,000 word, you know, in-depth reported profile story when when I started doing this. But I didn't have kind of that habit I had to kick of of the the day-to-day churn stuff. Um, But it's definitely been an adjustment uh, for me and I think for anyone that works there. Uh, But the the biggest thing positive has been it's really kind of make it what you can, make it what you want as long as you're giving people maybe something a little bit different than what they would get anywhere else.
0: Well, your gamers have been excellent because they tend to have some sort of twist on the bigger picture for the Bearcats, and I know that this team in particular pr- provides you plenty of content, game in game <laughs> out about uh, to write about. You know, there's never a shortage of uh, either. There's an, a huge crisis that the fan base is reacting to, or uh, I mean, we've reacted to plenty of crisis, crises this year, uh, or things are going extremely well. You also had a, a kind of a passion project that looked like earlier in the season where you wrote about the Jordan brand uniforms back from the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Is that something you had been just wanting to write about for a while? And were you surprised by the enthusiasm or passion that that came from former players, coaches, etc. Uh, for that brand?
2: Uh, yes, I had been wanting to write about it for a while and kind of the way it, I was able to worked out. I was not surprised by the passion of the local cincinnati fan base and and you know bearcats fans who have been fans for years i expected that because i i grew up here and i understood kind of that connection Uh, what i was surprised about was how many people i heard from whether it was like other writers at the athletic or you know, I had other people from the athletic saying like, Hey, you know, I was at practice down in, in Florida today or in Michigan today. And they were talking about that story because, you know, they remember growing up with the East Bay magazines and and seeing all the UC stuff. So I guess I was surprised at how big of a kind of national reach it had. Uh, But we were doing, you know, we, we have these kind of uh, targeted story clumps or clusters that we try to do at the athletic where we do it across the whole site. And so we wanted to do something with around shoes. And this was, I mean, any sport, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, soccer, whatever it was, there was it was kind of just like if you have an idea that you think makes sense for this, do it. And we were trying to think of something a little bit different than the maybe the traditional like sneakerhead profile of a guy who has a bunch of of shoes in his closet at home, which is cool, but um, there there's a lot of those stories out there, and we felt like it was just a good time to kind of try and tell the story of. Jordan brand at UC, what it meant to that program and that fan base and, and kind of how it became a really defining thing for college basketball in a way. Um, and like I said, I knew it would resonate here with Cincinnati fans and people, but I was, I was kind of surprised at at how much other people caught on and I guess remembered
0: that. So the Bearcats have a current sponsor in Under Armour. Is there any sensitivity around that kind of story dropping and that kind of enthusiasm happening where they're kind of like, "Yo, pump the brakes. They uh this is this is not the the thing anymore. It's all about Under Armour and Steph Curry at this point."
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Under Armour probably didn't love it, but they also um they have they're making plenty of money. They're doing just fine. And <laughs> you know, it's not like you you do there's no one from um Under Armour that was probably going to talk about this or, you know, even when I talked to the people about Nike, they were very careful of like, we don't want this to make it seem like we're angling or pitching for this. This is just you're talking about something that happened in the past, which it worked out because uh, Jamal Lucas is a former Bearcat basketball player. Otherwise, I don't know if I would have been able to get an executive from Jordan Brand talking about, uh, you know, a a former contractor or sponsor deal, basically. Um, But yeah, it's. I think it's such an important part of UC, you know, UC basketball, especially they understand the history. And I think sometimes they roll their eyes at it and want to kind of run away from it, just how important of a figure Bob Huggins is and that era still is. And, and I get that. But this the university also understands how important that is to the fan base and, and kind of the culture of the program. So uh, they might not have been out there. You know, talking about how great it was compared to Under Armour, but I, I don't think they were too upset about a story that celebrated that that past. Just for the record, I'm a hundred percent on the record
1: saying that the Jordan Brand jerseys are the best that we have ever had. And if if they want to target UC for a new contract, they totally should.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard from That's a lot of people. My just, opinion. <laughs> uh, a lot of people talk about how much they love those
0: uniforms. So I don't know if it'll ever happen again. But you're not alone in that. Well you kind of alluded to running away. I would say previously running away from the Bob Huggins era. It's a very sensitive topic now for people to talk about Huggins, especially when Mick Cronin was the coach. But we're now entering a time when we've left a the Huggins tree for the first time in several decades with John Brannon. And with that, with his hiring came a lot of talk about how different his style of basketball was going to be. And I think we see, you know, obviously quite big changes on offense, big changes on defense. What I'm curious about is, from your perspective, what have you seen where he's dialed it back, where he's made concessions, and he's decided to adapt his own personal philosophy based on whatever limitations he may think this current team has.
2: Oh, uh, on offense, without question. You know, I think uh, especially early in the season, where maybe <clears throat> Jaron was struggling and and things weren't just kind of clicking. Everyone was saying like, you know, oh, coach, you know, you can't just force your system onto a group of players. And I think the 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 truth is that he has completely changed the offense. I mean, what what the Bearcats are running on offense now looks nothing like what John Brandon honestly wants to run on offense, and, and probably what it will look like in two or three seasons um, at, at Cincinnati once he he gets a little bit more of his players and kind of his uh, his impact on the system. Um, and and I it's starting to look a little bit better now because I think it's coinciding with the team coming together. Um, obviously Jaron, you know, getting healthier and, um, and being in shape and kind of how that's different from the way that the season started, but he's completely retooled the offense to fit the personnel and that, you know, that's, that's Jaron, but that's also Chris vote. That's, that's Trey Scott. That's Keith Williams. I think it took him a little bit, Brandon, a little bit of time to figure out what do I have? what makes sense with, with this group of guys? What, How can I maximize their potential and, and win as many games with this group? Um, and I don't know that they're all the way there yet, but I, I think we're starting to definitely see, you know, get a lot closer. When you're scoring 89 points on the road in Philly, like, you know, you're at least getting, you're getting a little bit closer to, to what you want to do on offense. So it looks a lot different, but it, that's definitely, I think, an area where he has figured out, I need to change this for my team. And, and I think so far, it's he, he's done a good job of that.
0: Yeah, the the eighty nine points on the road was, I mean, that's just something that you're not used to as a UC fan. Uh, it's that the way we were able to score and keep up with the team that was hitting shots way beyond what they normally would do, and we saw that I think in Temple's next game, they dropped a game to. It was a team they shouldn't have lost to. I'm blanking on who it was, but they. I think it was Tulsa. Yeah, they they, they couldn't hit shots the next game to no one's surprise. Behind the scenes, you know, there's there's the change that you see on the court. I don't know if you're able to attend practices or or how often you're able to interact with Brandon and see him interact with the team. What differences or what what's what's the characteristic or personality of the team behind the scenes and in, in what John Brandon's trying to do?
2: Yeah, John's not big on open practices, which which is fine. That I think that's happening less and less now. Um, it, it's hard to say. You know, I, I guess what i i do think feel like I, I know and understand brandon a little bit and you know i've written about this he's just like a constant hard work grinder guy like his kind of whole persona is no one's ever going to outwork him um and i think that's kind of the the mindset he's trying to to melt onto the team i don't know if there's like a, a huge culture shift necessarily even in the same way that like when Luke Fickle took over for Tommy Tuberville on the, on the football side. And part of that is because the basketball program had been successful under, under Mick Cronin. So I don't think there was like a, a rebuild that had to be done in any way. Um, but I think, you know, John has his, his system and philosophy. It's very analytics heavy. You know, we always kind of joke in the media, like any John Brandon press conference, we're going to hear about analytics in, in some way or another. Um, and he has that whole 94 feet both ways. The thing is, you know, John and, and, the, and the assistant coach in the program, it's not like they have to get players who are stat nerds or, you know, advanced metrics people. They handle all that stuff. They find the guys who fit their system based on that. So in that way, I don't think that really has an impact on the culture necessarily because it's not like, you know, players are having to come in and, and learn what offensive efficiency statistics are and things like that. Um, but that's definitely something that has an impact on how the program plays, whether it's day to day in terms of the shots they take, it has an impact on the teams they're going to schedule year to year at a conference and kind of how they approach that front. So uh, I don't know that we'll know, see a huge difference in that in terms of, Player culture, maybe in terms of the style of play that some of the players have that he brings in. Um, But I think from his point of view, it's here's what he believes um, from kind of a style method approach standpoint. And it'll probably take a few years, but that's what he's trying to, the foundation he's trying to lay with the program.
0: One thing I've been curious about is Zach Harvey's minutes have, you know, they haven't really fluctuated. They've been low, little to none in terms of minutes. And he was the highest. Uh, highest-rated recruit coming into the program this year. He was also coming off of a reconstructive ankle surgery, apparently, uh, that is, could have been greatly hampering his ability to perform on the court. That said, he was still practicing. He was at Bearcat Madness. So I'm, I'm curious, from your perspective, if you've gotten any insight into this, do you think Zach Harvey's transition to college has more to do with injury or more to do with just getting adapted to the college game and it maybe taking him longer than it did other freshmen?
2: Yeah, I'm actually hoping to write about this um, sometime here in the next in the next week or so, especially because he had that one game where he he got out there a little bit more. What was that? The ECU game, I guess, at home. Yes. Um, Yeah, I think I think it's injury related. And I I think that has kind of slowed his his ability to adapt to the game. You know, he had a major ankle injury last January. I think February 1st was when he had uh, the surgery that kind of cut his last year prep school short. And obviously they knew that. Um, I just don't think anyone, including Zach, really knew how um, difficult it was going to be to, to kind of come back from that and, and feel like he could get back to 100%. Um, and and I, I think it has slowed. He's been able to practice, he's been with the team, but you know he's had to maybe take some days off or kind of pull back on certain days. I think going day after day has been tough on his body. Uh, and so I think that's probably just going to take – You know, another year. I think having a full off season with the program being healthy will will help a lot going into next year. Uh, But I I do think that it was he was hampered a little bit more than he or anyone even realized once he he joined the program coming in this season. And the other part of it, though, is you know he's he's playing behind uh, a team that its its biggest depth is on the wing. You know, Jaron, Keith, Javen. Uh, There's only so many minutes to kind of go around. So even if he were you know, feeling healthy uh, as a freshman, I think it's going to be a little bit tough to crack that rotation with, with two seniors, one of who's been there for four years and a junior who's been there for three years. Uh, So I don't, you know, I don't look at it as a, as a negative, I don't look at it as, as him kind of underperforming. I think part of it, too, is just the expectations that he came in with. Look at the difference between someone like him and Mike Adams-Woods, who people didn't know a ton about. Micah, when he came in, um, He's you know, didn't play in that first Ohio State game. He ends up starting 10 games later, and people are, you know, kind of impressed or pleasantly surprised, I guess, with what he's been able to bring to the program, because he didn't have the same amount of hype and attention as as Harvey did. Uh, and so I, I think sometimes people attach too much to that on, on incoming freshmen. And, and I think Zach's going to be a really good player for UC, and he's going to be a really important player starting next season. Uh, I, I just think that maybe people's expectations, probably you know myself and, and the media's included, were maybe a little bit beyond what actually um, should have been put on him for this season. You know, that that being said, too, with what we're seeing from
1: Zach Harvey do you think there was any discussion or consideration about redshirting him this year, knowing that he had that injury or or was that something that they just flat out didn't discuss?
2: You know, I don't know. Anytime you ask coaches about like redshirting a player, their line is always like, Oh, we leave it up to the player, which is, you know, a little bit of um, a white lie because (laughs) they, they have a lot more control over that than they, than they want to say. I don't think they really talked about it with Zach partly because, especially when the season started, they, they thought they were going to need him just in terms of bodies and, and health. You know, this was, the, they started the year with Trevor Moore. When he was still on the roster, he wasn't ready to play. Jeremiah Davenport was coming off an injury. Obviously, Jaron was struggling through injuries, and they had a couple, you know, bumps early on. Javen got hurt in that tournament. Um, looked like it might be more serious than it actually was. And so uh, I, I don't think they ever really thought about it because they thought they were going to need, you know, an extra body out there, whether, you know, um, obviously for practice, but just in certain situations, certain games. Um, so I don't think that that was ever a, a real serious consideration. And, you know, we'll see. He, he obviously has played. There have been certain games where he's played big moments and, and big minutes. And so I think that might continue a little bit more as as the season goes on. And maybe he does start to feel a little bit more comfortable and a, and a little healthier. Uh, you know, there's still what? 10, 10, 12 games left, something like that. I don't know, even know where we're at in the situation, but I wouldn't be surprised if maybe his his minutes continue to increase a little bit. So I think he's still going to be an important player for them, um, a bench player for him down the stretch. Uh, but yeah, I I think heading into the season with all of the injury concerns outside of his, that it was there was just too much going on for them to really think about redshirting him.
0: We a lot of the talk early in the season was obviously on uh, based around jaron cumberland his health his relationship with john brannan after that coach's decision to not play him in the alabama a&m game and then obviously recently jaron cumberland's play is elevated to a back to the level that bearcat fans and really college basketball at large is used to so my question is has to have things actually gotten better behind the scenes or is it Was there ever trouble in paradise or is this much ado about nothing? And it came down to Jaron Cumberland playing better basketball.
2: Uh, All of the above, I think. Yeah. Um, You know, I I think it all started with the health. You know, he he just wasn't totally healthy this summer, wasn't able to to work out and spend a lot of time with the team. And uh, because of that, he also wasn't in kind of game shape when the season started and all that acclimation period especially with a new team and a new coach that you need over the offseason he just really didn't have any of that and the team didn't have any of that and so that was a huge impact and I, I you know I don't know how much they want to talk about or admit it but I think there was a some kind of relationship stuff you know with him and him and Brandon that really needed to to get fixed out and, and I think part of that came with as as Jaron got healthy and saw how John could feature him in the offense and as Jaron got healthy and John realized what a great player he was and the things he could do with him that kind of naturally helped the relationship a little bit but I also think at some point they they kind of came to an understanding um and I would say that their relationship right now is really good you know I don't know if it's obviously John Brandon didn't recruit Jaron and wasn't sitting in his living room when he was a senior in high school so it's not maybe going to be the same as as it would in that situation um but I think Jaron's relationship with the coach excuse me, but the coaches are really good what the team is really good. Um, and I think that has improved as his kind of health and play has improved. And all of those things are, are coming together in what we're seeing now, which is Jaron not only looking like the the player he was last year, but, you know, kind of doing it in a different system and a different role in a different offense, um, and seeing a lot of the potential there. So yeah, it, you know, it was, it was play, it was relationship stuff. Um, and I, I think the the good thing, at least for the Bearcats, is that it all definitely seems to be going in a really good direction right now.
0: Right. I don't know if they're going to be having Thanksgiving with each other, but on the court, it does appear that there's mutual respect and it's, it's more of a collaborative relationship now on the court. It seems like uh, you know Jaron's being pulled aside. I hear John Brandon quoted as saying, "What are you seeing on the court? Uh, here's what I'm seeing." So all all appears to it appears to have grown into a very effective relationship on the court.
2: Yeah, and honestly, I think it's it's off the court too, and I think it's not just Jaron. I mean, he probably gets the most attention because he's the best player, and kind of the transformation over the season has been the most stark. But I think the relationship between a, a, a roster that has a lot of new first-year players ha- has really grown and changed. And I think John Brandon and the coaching staff's relationship with with Jaron, but also with all the players, ha- has really kind of grown um, in a, in a positive nature. And that's honestly that's just natural. And I I think maybe sometimes we um, we overlook how important that stuff is when you're, when you have a new coach and and such a a turned over roster. And I think we're starting to maybe see some of that come together eventually, finally.
1: So talking about a player who had a very different kind of off season uh, transformation, if you would, Chris vote, did Brandon know he was going to be such a beast this season Uh, coming from, you know, that Northern Kentucky, seemed to have a very limited role where here he's he's the second stud on the team,
2: you know, behind Jaron in terms of the features on this offense. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, has really probably been the most consistent player over the course of the whole season for them. Um, I don't know if John knew he was going to be this good, but I've I've written this. I've said this before. I give John Brandon a lot of credit. He, whether it was, you know, in front of microphones and cameras or kind of behind the scenes during the offseason, he was telling anyone who would listen. Chris votes good. This kid's going to be good. He was standing on the table for him and I was skeptical and I, you know, I'm not alone. I know that other people were skeptical. Uh, Just, you know, I didn't see him. Yeah. I I didn't see him play a lot uh, at at Kentucky, but what I did kind of see this in him Um, and and John Brandon obviously knew something Um, and and they've certainly kind of featured him in the offense and and run a a lot of stuff through and around him. Uh, But he's, he's really performed. So I I give Brandon um, complete credit on that because he was telling everyone that would listen that this kid was going to be a good player for the Bearcats. And he turned out to be, you know, maybe even more right than he
0: thought. I need to be a better listener in the future because when I, when he came, I did not think him getting the waiver to play this season was a big deal. And I'm pretty sure that I'm on a podcast saying, you know, great, good news. We have another body for five fouls per game if we need him against Memphis
2: no yeah you're right i think a lot of people felt that way um i think they you know it became clear they were going to need him you know to play this season just because they didn't really have anyone else down there but i don't think anyone expected him to be scoring 13 14 points a game
1: after the temple game he had uh he had some family in the stands and he he walked up to his, one of his little cousins and and said uh, did you like that dunk i did for you
2: and uh when he held his hand up his cousin couldn't reach it <laughs> He is big, man. You know, he's kind of like an old school throwback, big, you know, below the rim type player, but uh, it's 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 pretty amazing how how automatic he is when he gets the ball down there.
0: Yo, know, his finishing ability down low is is wild. I want to put Hummer on the spot a little bit here and ask your opinion on this, Justin. But Hummer went to the temple game, was able to sit close enough where he had the opportunity of meeting his hero, John Brandon, and and just to provide you some background, Justin. Hammer decided a few a couple weeks ago that John Brandon is a future <laughs> NBA coach and Hall of Famer. Um, he, he so after declaring this, he has a chance to meet John Brandon. It was blown away by his intensity. Is there is is his intensity a thing where you just you, when you're talking to him, he's kind of looking looking deep into your soul and just you know is more intense than any human you'll ever encounter.
2: I mean the intensity is a thing when it's basketball related you know now he can I, I've done interviews with him where he can turn that off. I don't feel like he's like a drill sergeant when I'm you know just asking him questions in his office or something like that but the easiest way to get like a chuckle out of the players is to ask them like how intense is coaching practice because it's I mean it's that's just what it is they know that and they they love that you know I I talked to Mike Adams Woods about it and he was like that was one of the reasons he wanted to come here because he, he loves a coach that is that intense and that invested Uh but no I mean, that is it goes back to that kind of like relentless work ethic thing that John has. But if it's if it's basketball related, whether it's like kind of an in the moment intensity shooting laser beams through something or it's just like I'm going to watch as much film as possible on this team in the next 20 hours. Uh, it's that's definitely who he is as, as a coach and as a person.
0: I love that. I love the intensity. Um, so if I know you're not a prognosticator, you're not a guy who makes predictions. But if you were going to kind of give Bearcat fans a guy or a player or two or or development to watch over the rest of the season, kind of what would you keep your eye on? Is there someone who might surprise us down the home stretch here uh, for the conference play? Hmm. That's
2: a good question. Um, I don't. Uh, he's had moments. I don't think we've seen Javon Cumberland kind of shoot the lights out like we know he can. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he has a stretch coming up where instead of shooting, you know, between 30 and 35 percent from three, he's shooting 40, 40 plus percent from three, uh, and on this team that's going to make a big difference because they they need that. So he would be someone who I, you know, he's had good moments and he's played well at times, but I don't feel like he's completely turned it on like we know he can. Um, so he would be one. And then I I still think we're at some point we're going to get like a a just. Um, all out Keith Williams game. Uh, and maybe it's uh, a game where they just completely, the team works to take Jaron away or, um, you know, Chris Vogue gets in foul trouble or something like that. Uh, you know, and the thing with Keith Williams has always been like consistency. Can you do it from night to night? And I think that's a separate issue, but I do think there there will be a moment at some point where where Keith wins him a game scoring 25 points or something, or he just, he kind of has one of those halves where he blows up, hits a couple threes. Uh, so, so those would be the two. And I, I do think, you know, as Jaron is playing more point guard, Mike Adams Woods, um, you know, maybe playing time's decreasing a little bit or kind of usage is decreasing a little bit. But I think what he's already shown as a freshman is, is impressive. And I I think that kind of steady hand and shooting and scoring ability will come in big down the stretch.
1: Coomer Coomer's loving the Keith Williams prediction Uh, before the season started. I stupidly made a bet that uh, Keith Williams would, not average as many points per game as trey scott which i'm on my way to losing in the <laughs> that is a is running a beer mile yeah, so coomer is is happy to hear uh, any prospects of keith williams thrown
2: in on a 25 game i think it's coming i think it's coming
0: well justin you've been generous with your time i know you've got to run here in a few minutes so before we let you go i want to touch on a few kind of cincinnati focused questions for you we normally do this with with players we talk to, but given that you grew up in this city, let's get your take on, on some of these Cincinnati hot topics. Sure. Hot so takes. If you, I'll open it up to any chili, but usually we ask Gold Star or Skyline, and there's been one consistent answer so far. I'd like to get your take on this.
2: No, oh, it's, it's Skyline without question. Um, I can certainly be bought... If, if Gold Star wants to sponsor me in some way, I, I, can, I can change my allegiance for probably not that high of a price point. But, no, it's, it's Skyline. Um, and I do have a couple local spots I go to. Um, Pleasant Ridge Chili over on the east side. I'm, I'm a fan of that. But in terms of just, like, I'm going to eat some, some Cincinnati Chili, it's Skyline all the way.
0: Now, we typically ask folks about their favorite flavor of Grater's ice cream. But a little birdie tells me you're not so keen on Grater's as much as you are another one.
2: I, I do want, I want to make it clear. I, I am a fan of graders. I think they have a fine product, but I, I prefer UDF. Um, you know, maybe that has something to do with I was born, grew up on the West Side, there, there might be a little bit, um, the, the frugality of that nature might be in there a little bit. But uh, no, I, I, if, if, if choosing, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go UDF over, over Graders, which apparently UC fans aren't super happy with Graders right now anyway, because the whole boldly Bearcat debacle. So maybe that'll earn me a couple, a couple yeah. points with some Bearcats fans.
0: I gotta be honest, yeah, I, I have not jumped on the bandwagon of trashing Graders because of the boldly Bearcat <laughs> situation. I did try that flavor. <laughs> finally and it was delicious but extremely rich like and I'm a guy who just likes taking down a whole pint at a time like I'll full disclosure if I buy a pint <laughs> it's getting eaten and so after that pint I didn't feel so good but it, it was a good flavor they should consider making it full-time I think it's else sells the Ohio State brand uh, so if you walk into a UDF and you and you order some ice cream what's your order?
2: I, I, I mean, this is it. Kind of makes it even for people. I feel like the UDF black raspberry chip is superior to the the Graders black raspberry chip.
0: Whoa, I know. Whoa, I wasn't prepared for that.
2: That might not be quite on the level of like Joe Burrow <laughs> trashing Skyline, but I feel like I might get an <laughs> aggregated tweet story about me liking UDF black raspberry chip better than than Graders. That is it's not for show. This is not like a Stephen A. Smith thing. I'm serious. That's that's my that's my go-to that's flavor. That's
0: amazing. Wow, because with UDF, I always look at it like their mint chocolate chip is just far superior to anything that uh, graders can offer on that front. So I typically go to UDF for that flavor. I've never he- heard of someone preferring the black raspberry option.
2: I, I know it's it's odd, but it it is it is my true genuine feeling. I feel like the the chip distribution is better. You don't get those big like chunks that they that they give you graders. Now maybe some people like those. That's it's <laughs> personal preference. Different strokes
1: for different folks. But that's how I feel. Coombers running out to UDF like. As soon as this is over, he's like, I'm going to try this. We're going to make sure this <laughs> I've is tried real. It.
0: Yeah, I've tried it. I've given it its fair shake. It's good. It's good. Um, Justin, you did. You went to college in Athens, which I've got some great memories of college, going up there for four-fest or five-fest. It was something like that back then. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have local watering holes that you prefer in the Cincinnati area? We typically ask about Clifton. You know, if there's a Clifton bar you, you like going to um, – but you know, if you want again, you're from Cincinnati. If you want to branch out, we're we're open to hearing it.
2: Well, I should say that um, as as a uh, father of two now, my time spent in bars is <laughs> has decreased just incredibly um, with with two kids under three years old. But um, you know, I live kind of over on the east side now, and uh, it's it's a n- n- somewhat newer bar, a couple years old at this point now, but Overlook Lodge in, in Pleasant Ridge. I know I mentioned Pleasant Ridge, Chile before, um, but that area has kind of been uh, a, a hangout back in, in the days where I was a little bit cooler and stayed out past 830. Um, but so that would be that would be my go to uh, Overlook Lodge over in Pleasant Ridge. That's a that's a great spot.
0: Very nice. I appreciate the uh, the insight there. Uh, Hummer, any other parting shots here for Justin before we let him roll? Mm-hmm.
1: No, um, my mind's still blown with with UDF, the UDF <laughs> uh, over graders in particular, the the black chocolate chip raspberry, and I live in Philly, so I can't even go out and like test this theory until I come back in town for uh, for senior night. So I'm gonna be just like left hanging, not being able to to to, to dive into this dilemma myself. <laughs> I do actually, I do got one question since we're talking weird stuff here. Yesterday, uh, someone brought, we were, we were, so we we were, we were, we we went to a drag show with some friends yesterday down in uh, in Philly. And part of the show was you were supposed to get a free mimosa uh, that they brought over to you for, you know, included in your ticket. Well, they made it with, pineapple juice instead of orange juice because they had ran out of 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 orange juice and apparently it was the most polarizing thing in the world the place was about the riot that they were serving pineapple juice with with their champagne any any
2: any input on this very polarizing topic um, I'm out of my element here. Um, I'm not a huge orange juice fan. I mean, I, I love a good mimosa from, from time to time. Um, but I don't think that I would have been, I'm, I'm fine with pineapple juice. So I, I probably would have been trying to calm the, calm the crowd, um, while, while chugging black coffee, uh, at the same time. So I don't, I don't have a, an opinion one way or another. I feel like I've already, I've unloaded my, my hot take cannon with the, the UDF <laughs> over graders, but, I guess I could see if you know if you're a if you're a mimosa lover and 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 you just want that that standard traditional orange juice flavor, I I could see people getting upset, but I, I would have been I would have been pretty calm in that situation, I think.
1: Now I'm just picturing you at a, at the table, just one leg up, and you just have your coffee, just going like, I don't get what these animals are are fighting
2: over. Well, and and also it's it's just an excuse for people to drink alcohol at breakfast. Like just drink the champagne. That's all they really care about.
1: In the end, that's what happened. Uh, <laughs> my wife and her friends sent their mimosa back and asked for just for champagne.
2: Yeah,
0: that's that's the <laughs> that's the move to go to. Well, again, Justin, we we really appreciate your time today. Uh, you can find Justin's work on the Athletic. I personally would say it is worth subscribing to that uh, platform, the Athletic, just for the Bearcat content alone. You're doing a great job over there, um, and appreciate it. You know, uh, appreciate you joining the Cincy and Podcast today
2: oh i I really appreciate you guys saying that and obviously appreciate what you're doing here uh so so thank you and and yeah anytime you need me i'm around let me know
0: thank you
1: awesome and and don't forget to check out his life story over over at b fox (laughs) (laughs) that was a really great podcast uh, actually it was very very entertaining hearing about how you chose not to be a lawyer
2: I, I was I did not go to there expecting to to have a, a biopic on my life made, but that's that's what you get into anytime you're hanging out with B Fox.
0: Right. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't we chose not to tell the Justin Williams story because B Fox did such an amazing job with it on his. On his podcast. I think he owns the rights now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to challenge him over that. Thank you, Justin. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you.